Welcome to the Keto Made Simple Podcast. I'm Dr. Eric Westman, and tonight we are doing something special. We are joined with Amy Berger and Physicians and New York Times best-selling authors of the book, Protein Power, Doctors, Michael and Mary Dan Eads, to talk to you about the eight telltale signs you need more protein in your diet. I will now hand over to Amy Berger to introduce you to Dr. Michael and Dr. Mary Dan Eads. Take it away, Amy. Hello, everybody. Good evening. Welcome to our protein workshop with Drs. Michael and Mary Dan Eads. We will have a Q&A portion after the presentation. So, this is a workshop all about protein and the signs that you need more protein. And it's coming to you from Adapter Life Academy. I am Amy Berger. I am a low-carb and keto nutritionist, and I am the head nutritionist and lead writer at Adapter Life Academy. And I'm just the, the MC here. The real stars of the show this evening are doctors, Mary Dan and Mike Eads. And if you are relatively new to keto and low-carb diets, you might not know who these two people are because there's a lot of sort of new influencers and people that you know from YouTube and all social media. So I would like to just give you a quick introduction to the doctor's ease. As far as I'm concerned, you will be in the presence of low-carb royalty this evening. They wrote a book. Now, they've written several books, but one of their most popular, most famous books is Protein Power. And this book came out in the mid-1990s. And I reread it again recently. It is every bit as relevant and helpful and important today as it was then. And so the doctor's eads really have been in the low-carb space longer than just about anybody. There is probably no one better to learn about protein from than these two people. And they are both physicians. They had a, a practice for many, many years where they were some of the earliest people doing low-carb diets to help people lose weight, reverse diabetes, and all that good stuff that we know this way of eating does. And those of you who happen to be fans of Dr. Westman, Dr. Westman was not born knowing about low-carb and keto diets. He didn't learn them ab about them in medical school. So the doctor's eads were some of his teachers when he was brand new to this. So all of that to say, that the, you may not have heard of them if you're new to this way of eating, but these are real, true experts, and you are just in for a real treat, and we are so lucky to have them. Stick around until the end, because if you are interested in learning more about protein, we have a really cool special offer for you. So stay tuned, and I'm going to bring on the stars right now. Hello, doctors, Mike and Mary Danny. It's hey, Amy. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. Where are you? I'm calling. Where are you presenting from tonight? You're on the West Coast, right? Well, we are. Coast. West Coast. Okay. Santa Barbara, California. What a beautiful place. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you it. I will come back on um, for the Q&A portion, but you guys take it away. All right. Well, started out, I am Dr. Michael Eads. And I'm his wife, Dr. Mary Eads. And we, the same we said, we've been practicing for a long time. We have been treating patients with low-carb ketogenic diets since the early 1980s, so I guess that makes it about three years now. 
And so we've had thousands and thousands of patients, lots and lots of experience. I don't think we've ever, we've seen it all in terms of world card. <laughs> That's true. And we've written, uh, what, 14 books, 14, 14 books all together on, on medical and health conditions and the, uh, the protein powers they mentioned back in the 1990s that sold a whole lot of copies and was named Protein Power because actually that's what the publisher wanted to call it. And we didn't really like that title, but now it's become a great a great title. So they were a lot smarter than we were. So when you talk about protein, you got to think there are three macronutrients. Those are the things that give you calories. There's protein, there's carbohydrates, and there's fat. But of those things, protein is really the most critical but because it's the only one that's really a macronutrient, because the others are basically fuel sources. You get fuel from fat, now you get some essential fatty acids, and mainly fat is a fuel, and carbohydrates are a fuel. You know, there is no essential carbohydrate, and they're strictly used as fuel, and the body can shift from one to the other. But it can also use protein as a fuel, but it doesn't really like to, because it would rather preserve that. to use it to build muscle, to build enzymes, to build all your protein structures. But that's the that's the difference between a, really a nutrient and a fuel. You know, protein, he talked about building things with it. It itself is made of building blocks, and many of you will know this. There are 20 amino acids that make up every protein in the body, and there are like 10,000 proteins or more in the human body that we have to make all the time. So our need for protein is never-ending. It's the one thing we absolutely must have. It's the cornerstone of human nutrition. Because it does so many things in the body. I mean, everything of us, your hair, skin, nails, uh, bones, organs, you know, your heart, your lungs, your liver, your pancreas, everything about you, including hormones, neurotransmitters, enzymes, everything that makes the body work is basically a protein structure. And it has, we use it up, we wear it out, we have to replace it. And there's really no reservoir for protein in the body other than your lean body mass, which you don't want to consume. You want to to build and strengthen. Therefore, dietary protein coming in regularly with all of the essential 20 amino acids is important. And of those 20, there are eight, conditionally nine. There's a, there's a early in life and very late in life. Arginine is also a required amino acid, but there are eight essentials. And the rest of them can be made out of those eight if you give your, you know, your diet enough protein to do that. Of the essentials, there are a couple of them if you're trying to build muscle and build your lean body mass back up that are very important. And we're going to talk a little bit more about those as we go along in this little um, dis- discourse discussion. Second, only to water. Protein is the most critical nutrient the most critical nutrient for human health. As Mike said, there are no carbohydrate deficiencies known, not a single one, but there are two important protein deficiencies known. You may have heard of those. One is called kwashiorkor and one is called marasmus. And these are extremes. This is the, the, the children in Africa that you've seen that have bloated bellies and uh, distended bellies and swollen hands and feet or the tiny, tiny babies uh, whose, whose little arms... You could put your fingers around. Um, Those are extremes of protein malnutrition, but you don't have to go to that extreme to find consequences of a lack of protein in your diet. Right. And, you know, and 
In young people, protein is absolutely critical for growth and brain development. The lack of it stunts growth and impairs cognitive function and learning. And that's why a lot of these countries that have a lot of malnutrition have a lot of cognitive impairment. People really need the protein. They need iron, too. They really need protein. Well, the two the two come together a lot, you know. And red meat. Animal foods. There are two times in life when your protein needs really increase. And one of them is when you're young and growing because you've got to build body structures. And all of your body structures, as you said, bones, muscles, everything is made of protein. Even your bones, you think of bones being calcium. Well, it's calcium that's on a protein kind of a template or matrix. So when you're young, you really need protein. You really need plenty of it. And when you're old, you need protein because once you've reached about age 30, as we'll talk about a little bit later, you start to lose protein. And so you constantly got to eat more and you've got to work out to keep from losing your muscle mass. And about half of the elderly, about half, don't get enough protein. And about 7% of, of children worldwide are thought to be deficient in protein, which is incredible. The signs of protein deficiency are kind of what we were going to talk about today. Because everybody, you, you probably think you get enough protein. I thought plenty of protein, but you might not. And especially if you're over 30. Again, we're going to talk about that. The young and the growing who have to build a complete body from the ground up and and grow it quickly. Those guys are under the influence of hormones. Hormones are driving their growth. And if you give them enough protein of almost any kind, they're going to gobble that up and they're going to turn it into a lean body. But once you pass, you know, about 25 to 30, that, that hormonal drive goes away. And what's driving muscle building at that point is dietary protein. You've got to have enough to trigger dietary protein uh, to build new muscle, new lean body, which, you know, you need. But we're going to talk about the signs of black. And I guess among them, the first thing that anybody would think of, of course, is muscle loss or muscle weakness. If you don't get enough protein in the diet, uh, your muscles can't repair the wear and tear of living. Even if you're not, you know, working them very hard. If you've ever been in the hospital, maybe, and I've certainly seen this. I even had that happen to me. You get into the hospital and you're sedentary in bed for a few days and you become so weak when you get out, you almost can't walk. I mean, I was young and I had a bad car wreck when I was young and I ended up in the hospital for a week because of that in bed. And when I got out, I mean, I'm 19 years old and I can barely walk to the car because how quickly you're, you lose uh, the strength and the stamina in, in your muscles when that happens. And it's average worse when you're older. Yeah. And, you know, you have a, you know, a relative maybe who gets, has a hip fracture and gets in bed for a long period of time. And I'm, now they really do try to mobilize them because it's so important not to let your muscles sit. But you probably know firsthand how quickly may have happened to you how quickly you can lose muscle mass and muscle strength, especially. So a sign of, of relative protein malnourishment is if you begin, if your muscles begin to dwindle or if you are weaker than you used to be, you can't open jar lids, you can't pick heavy things down from above your head, you can't get your carry-on in the overhead bin. There's a, a million things that just day-to-day living that you depend on good quality protein coming in the diet to keep your muscles strong.
Welcome to Fuller Butts, a behind-the-scenes plastic surgery podcast. Yes, you heard that right. Join your co-hosts, Dr. Sam Fuller and Dr. Dan Butts, board-certified plastic and reconstructive surgeons on an exclusive full-access pass into the world of plastic surgery. Combining their expertise and training, Doctors Fuller and Butts will share medical insights, detailed explanations, and lighthearted humor to keep you entertained and informed. We're certain you'll become passionate about the plastic surgery specialty and between debunking myths, uncovering truths, or just making you laugh out loud at their perspective on this creative and artistic field. We've got something for everyone. You get increased risk of fracture, get more infections, you get slow healing of both fractures and even wound healing, you get digestive issues. Dry, brittle you know, hair and, and nails, hair loss, skin thinning and dryness. You can get anemia, the swelling of your feet and ankles because a lot of people don't know that protein is what basically holds the blood inside the blood vessels. And if you don't have enough protein, it can seep out. That's why these kids can get big bellies and that's why people can get edema. If they don't have enough protein, they get brain fog, fatigue, memory disturbance, or mood swing. Rational agitation, even cognitive impairment in the later years. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on, and protein impacts all of these conditions. It absolutely does. We've talked a little bit about muscle loss, and there's truly your your muscle mass is uh, it's basically like a savings account for good health and in age. Right. You depend on it more than anything else. In fact, that's one marker longevity. It's what your muscle mass is for your relative size. And so uh, muscle mass equals give it protein. <laughs> so it, it couldn't be more important than that. But bones too, because the muscles are on a framework that's a, a, you know, a bony skeletal framework. And as we age, bones thin and they get weaker. And, you know, the risk for fractures of one kind or another, simple fractures from a fall or a major fracture like a hip fracture go up. And with those, that's a that's a real when that happens to an older person, it's that's hard to come back from for a lot of folks. And so, as Mike said earlier, the whole matrix that bones exist upon, we think of calcium, we think of all the minerals, molybdenum and phosphorus and boron and and I mean all the things that go into bone, but those things are just hung on that protein framework. It's a collagen protein framework. And so you've got to keep it repaired and replaced in order to have something to, for the vitamin D and the estrogen or the testosterone or whatever to hang those minerals on to make your bones strong. You know, early man had very strong bones. He was a meat eater and she was too. They were both meat eaters and they they had cortical thickness in their bones much better than we have in our bones today. And so it's it's important that you do that. And, you know, the, the thing that plagues people as they get into their later years, probably more than anything else, is this condition called sarcopenia. Mm-hmm. And sarcopenia there is just, uh, it just means muscle loss or muscle wasting. We've all seen it in elderly people there. Mm-hmm. The limbs just shrivel away because that's where a lot of the muscle mass is. And in order to maintain that, you've got to keep protein intake up. And it's really difficult to keep protein intake up unless you eat foods of animal origin. It's just tough to do because of some of the particular amino acids in those foods that drive the whole system that, that builds and maintains protein. 
And not only do you have to eat a lot of protein to keep it going, it's really a struggle. It really is. Mm -hmm. You've got to, and you've got to work out too. You've got to do some resistance training. And it's just a constant battle when you reach later in life to maintain your lean body mass. As she says, it's so important and it's like money in the bank for you metabolically because it's a reservoir, believe it or not, blood sugar. And it's a reservoir for all your amino acids to make all your enzymes and all everything that requires protein. And it and it's just a constant battle against nature because nature wants you to give it up and you want to keep it. And the longer you can keep the longevity is associated with the greater muscle mass. You've got to you've got to work when you're a kid, when you're growing up to age thirty, you can grab protein from just about everything you eat. It's even got a minuscule iota of protein in it but when you get over age 30 the battle starts and when you're 60 it's a lot harder even than it is 30 and the older you get the more difficult it becomes and the harder you have to work to maintain it but believe me it pays huge 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 dividends absolutely and you know people think about well i probably get enough during the day but there's a protein threshold that you've got to hit in a single dose to really as an adult to give the signal, it's okay for me to synthesize some muscle, to, to build some muscle. And that comes from the branch chain amino acid leucine primarily. You want to have a whole, the, all 20 amino acids in, in your amino acid pool richly, of course, if you're going to build muscle or bone or whatever. But leucine especially is a trigger for uh, building muscle. And you need about two and a half to three grams of leucine in a single dose, at a single meal, in order to build to give the signal to build. And that's, you know, usually 25 or 30 grams of protein total in, say, a chicken breast or a chicken thigh or, a, you know, whatever, a bunch of eggs. But you need uh, you need that, that good signal or you're not going to build. And then you want to work. You got to work the muscle against a load to build muscle and bone. And, yeah, and as she says, working the muscle against a load not only builds muscle, but builds bone as well. And you've got to have bony structure to hang your, your, your uh, line, <laughs> to hang your muscles on, hang your muscles on. So it's really important in both cases. And it's really important actually for bone healing. I mean, if you're elderly and you break the hip, it's a catastrophe. And if you have plenty of protein intake, A, you probably won't break your hip, but B, if you do, it'll heal a lot, a lot faster than if you're limited on protein. And the bad part about it is you break your hip, a lot of times you go to the hospital, you're in the hospital, you're going to get a wretched diet. It's not going to have enough protein. It's not going to have plenty of carbs. Yeah, it's going to have plenty of carbs, mm -hmm. but carbs don't do anything to, help to build muscle. So it's uh, want to make sure that you got plenty of protein coming in so that you don't break your head. But if you do, that you'll survive it and rebuild it quickly. You know, to a degree, the same thing's true for any injury or for a surgery of any kind. And, you know, and it doesn't have to be a, a hip fracture. You know, a lot of us, if you're an active person, you end up, you know, straining an ankle or a knee or, or a shoulder or whatever. And same thing, if you're going to heal that as an adult, you've got to kind of drive the protein, particularly the the, the ranch chains, uh, you know, things like uh, meat, eggs, and milk uh, in order to, uh, to have the raw materials there to be able to repair, replace, rebuild when something like that happens. Yeah, and even if you're a kid... I'll make it sound like you don't need protein, but you really do. You can get it from all kinds. You actually of need a lot. But you need a lot because you're growing. So if you want to 
to grow as a kid or maintain the growth of your children or your grandchildren, make sure that they get plenty of, of good quality protein. There are all kinds of other places you lose protein and that you need protein from, you know, you shed your lying to your gut regularly. Uh, every time a cell replaces itself, we need protein to do that. You the replace DNA. the entire lining of your gut about every few, well, it's it's measured in days or yeah. weeks. It's, a, it's often in the entire lining of your gut, which is where the rubber meets the road for digestion. So if you want your digestion to be good, you got to focus on having a good gut lining. And to have that, you've got to have enough protein coming in to build, uh, rebuild and replace all that loss. Right. And your entire immune system made of protein. Underpins protein and it prevents you from getting sick more often. It, it's just an absolute requirement for a robust immune response mm-hmm. and to make immunoglobulins, antibodies, and all the different white cells to fire infection. Those are all protein based. Mm-hmm. Yep. We've talked about how important it is to for, for wounds healing to have plenty of protein uh, because. You think of that in terms of like a cut injury. I've got a, I've got a heal, I've got a heal, a fracture. But another place where it's very important, and that I think people don't probably get it when they need it, right, is if you hurt the heart muscle in some way, you have a heart attack. Collagen is you gotta, you gotta heal it with, with the tissues that build new heart muscle. And so you've got to have plenty of protein anytime you get an injury, an illness, uh, you know, take a fall, bang yourself up, whatever. You've got to have it. And, you know, and use it for even things you might not think are that important. Your hair, for example, is a protein structure. So you've got dry, brittle hair. More protein generally helps that. Same thing with brittle nails and, and ridges in your nails. So you're How many hairs do you think you want to human head? About 100,000. <laughs> and, you know, when they shed, you got to replace them from the follicle all the way out. And so that's a constant turnover of protein. And if you don't have enough protein, the hair that's there hangs around and doesn't get forced out by new growth, and you you have, you know, dry kind of lifeless, brittle hair. And you can have you know, crummy skin, it's dry place that gets thin, mm-hmm. and it has wood turgor, which is kind of the moisture content of the skin, wrinkly, crepey, crepey. They don't want any of that. Yeah, and and as I mentioned before, even the fluid part of the blood has has to have a protein to maintain the fluid in, in the blood vessels. People don't realize this, but blood vessels are porous. Mm-hmm. If you don't have protein to keep the fluid in, and it just oozes out. Mm-hmm. So you've got to have protein for that. Well, and not only that, but the cells themselves, not just the white cells, but the red cells as well, made of protein. And particularly hemoglobin is a protein. That's the oxygen-carrying pigment that's in every red blood cell. And another little interesting factoid... How many red blood cells are in a human body that have to get replaced about every life of a red blood cell is about 120 days. And so every 120 days, you got to have a new one to take its place. And in a human body, there are between 20 and 30 trillion, trillion, that's with a T, red blood cells, 20 to 30 trillion of the number of cells in your whole body, 70% of them by cell number are red blood cells. And they get turned over and you got to replace them Every 120 days, day uh, you're in and you're out, month in and month out. Got to have protein to do it. And iron. You got to do about 10 trillion cells every month, every day, 40 days. 
Yeah. yeah, something like that. That's a lot. That's a lot of sharp. And as I mentioned before, you need a lot of protein. I mean, you need protein to build white blood cells, your immune cells, and by infecting leukocytes, neutrophils, the eosinophils are all used up and worn out, and they've got to be replaced constantly. Not like the red blood cells are, but but they do have to be replaced. They're not at many, and you'll have too few if you have a protein deficiency. Like we talked about before, too, was it being not, you know, swelling in the feet, swelling in the ankles. Uh, the poor little kids that she was talking about, they get these big bloated bellies. That's because they don't have enough protein to hold the blood in and it seeps out into their abdominal cavity. And that's why they have these big bellies, even though they're starving to death. They've got little bitty limbs, little bitty arms and legs, very big bellies because they can't hold the protein. I mean, they can't hold the fluid in the blood and it seeps out into their abdominal area. So it's, well, you know, and there's, there's a quick cure for them. Yeah. Good quality Good protein. Nutrition. Yeah. I mean, even if you, even if they have enough calories to support themselves, if they don't have enough protein, they're going to suffer this squash or core that can't keep the fluid part of the blood where it belongs. Uh, and they'll have all these other, you know, hair, skin and nail problems, obviously, and cognitive problems, obviously. Um, but they can all be fixed by giving them complete protein. So like milk. It's perfect milk or our meat or eggs. Unfortunately, most of them get way too little protein. Yeah. And mainly plant, uh, plant protein, yeah. which is generally insufficient in certain amino acids to make the proteins that they need to hold the fluid in the blood vessels. Boy, a, a tragic situation. You, you remember what washup will need? No, but I'm sure you do. I do. <laughs> the sickness that occurs when the next child comes. Yeah. So when, when a toddler gets weaned from human breast milk onto something like, you know, cream of wheat, you know, rice, boiled rice, whatever, which is what it usually is, he gets sick or she gets sick because they're not getting complete protein and the new baby's getting it. So, you know, he will also suffer core when the next baby comes. So uh, it's, it can all be fixed just with protein. There's another major organ that can be protein dependent, and that's your brain. You know, we've said that people who eat on the higher end of the protein scale as they age have less likelihood of having senile cognitive decline, and that's true. But all kinds of things that make our brains work and make us work also are protein-based, neurotransmitters, and many of them are omega-2, I'm sure, serotonin, uh, tryptophan, the one you get when you eat turkey at Thanksgiving, and it makes you go to sleep. Yeah, GABA, glutamate, I mean, all of these, dopamine, all of these neurotransmitters are protein-based too. And when you don't get enough protein, you can start having issues related to all of these, that it's it's a very tight, orchestrated interplay between all these things. And when they get out of sync, things happen. You have brain fog, you can't call words, you can't think clearly, you have that mid-afternoon slump where you can't wake up, and you can have difficulty learning new things or kids, if they're just learning things, can have difficulty if you don't have all of the required numbers and amounts of neurotransmitters, all of which are protein-based, all of which are protein-based, every single one of them. And you can make a huge difference in cognitive ability in in kids by giving them plenty of protein. I think over the years, I've, I've told parents a million times that I don't care what else your kid eats as long as he eats the protein or she eats the protein because that's the single most important, the most critical nutrient for building a, a strong and healthy 
child and to maintaining a healthy adult. And it's protective in the elderly too. It's not just kids. I mean, people uh, get seen out cognitive and preach mm-hmm. on a, on a it could do a world of good in nursing homes yeah, just to feed them some protein. Unfortunately, they feed them just the outright. Usually, it's the protein is really protective in the elderly, mm-hmm. and protein yeah. helps with with weight loss. Yes, it does. Um, and it helps with weight gain. And people want to gain weight, people want to build muscle. But protein, because it's not it's not just burned up like carbs and fat are. It's burned up or stored. It's used. So in the process of Breaking it down and converting it what it need to into what it needs to be converted to, it it chews up some, some calories, and so it ends up having what's called the thermic effect of food. It makes you burn more calories than you would otherwise burn if you didn't have the protein because it's fully metabolically expensive. I guess is a good word for it. I mean, your body has to spend a lot of energy to move it around and do what you need to do with it with carbon fat. You burn the form basically. Mm-hmm. No. There's a, a theory, and it is a theory, it's not been proven in humans, but it has been shown in animal studies that creatures, I'll call it, since we're talking animals, will eat to till they make their protein requirements. So if you feed them a very low-protein diet, then they end up eating a lot more of that low-protein diet, seeking to get the, the requisite amount of protein that, that their little furry bodies know they need. The same thing is true to a degree in, in humans, although the research is not nearly as strong, I don't think, as it is in animals. Now, if you try to, to subsist on a low-protein or a diet of not good quality protein, then you end up eating a lot more of it, and that can lead to weight gain of the type you don't want, you know, or, or a stall in weight loss, which is can be disconcerting and unwelcome when you're trying to lose weight. So many, many, many times throughout the years with patients, I've had to tell them, I, I need you to, if you want to lose weight, I need you to eat more. And I specifically need you to eat more protein. It needs to be the first thing you think about. And when you're building a meal, get your protein in and then surround it with some other things that are within your carb limit or with, you know, what, that fit your taste palate or make you make your life better in some way, as long as they don't make your met- metabolism worse in some way. But uh, protein is the cornerstone. And when they'll eat more protein, what they find out when they've been in a slump of weight loss is that the weight loss picks up. And it picks up for a couple of reasons. Protein is satiating to the appetite. And when you eat it, just like in those animal studies, it's like your body knows, oh, I've actually been fed. And that's really true when it comes to muscle synthesis. When you get over that threshold, your body knows it, it triggers, oh, I can build muscle. I've got enough incoming nutrient that I can I can actually do something with it. And so that's, I mean, a strong signal. So when they do this and they start eating more protein, they end up losing weight better. They get back on their weight loss. They actually probably eat fewer calories because pro- protein is so satiating that you, you're happy, you're content, your appetite is satisfied with fewer calories. So what you want to do is make make the calories you eat count, make them Count for something. It needs to be nutrient dense, which animal sources of protein certainly are nutrient dense, and uh, give you everything that you need to build and maintain, you know, an, a a lean body that's strong and healthy and metabolically fit, and that will take you into your older age, uh, happy to be there, <laughs> not wishing you weren't. So I think I think being able to do the things that you want to do. As you get older, or 
even if getting older means over 30, which it does, I'm sorry to say, it just, it's all about the protein. It all comes down to the protein. All, you know, right now, these uh, weight loss, all the rave. Oh, yeah. Everybody's talking about those that got you about a thousand bucks a month and people are having pretty significant weight losses on those. But I did analysis on a paper in the main journal, what is the main one? And when you get into the, down into the weeds of it, into the supplementary material that don't even show up in the main paper, it's even hard to find there. And I had to do a lot of calculations to come up with this. But people lose almost half of the weight they lose is their lean body mass because these shots just make them not particularly hungry. And when they're not hungry, you know, they don't eat. And when they do eat, they probably eat foods that they shouldn't eat. There are a lot of uh, articles about this in the late press right now that a lot of food companies and even a natural donut chain are getting concerned because they think their revenues are falling because people are getting these shots and they're not going out and eating all this this junk food and fast food, which I'll tell you. That's what they were eating before. <laughs> a message right there. That's why they got overweight in the first place. But they quit eating all that stuff, but they quit eating a lot of protein too. They just kind of quit eating. And what, what happens to these people is that they lose their lean body mass, lean muscle mass, and they think that they're doing great because they're losing weight. But ultimately, and studies also shown this, that when people go off of the shot, they regain the weight. And the problem is when they regain this weight, they're not going to regain the muscle mass along with it. They're going to regain mainly fat. And when they regain the fat, they're going to be in a situation where they're getting less lean body mass than they did and before they started in the shots before. And whatever they do after that, it's going to make it that much more difficult because they're not going to have underlying muscle mass. The engine. Uh, the engine, sort of the metabolic engine. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be a real struggle. So I, mm-hmm. you know, a million people ask me about these uh, shots. Would I do it? Would I go? Absolutely not. Because it, it's so easy to do, really, with diet. And a whole lot less expensive. Think about how much really good eggs you can buy for a thousand dollars. I don't know. It, things are up right now. That's a lot of way of ribeye steak. That is. That's probably more than a ribeye a day. But that's Sean Baker. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it's just I'm really concerned about that societally because I think a lot of people are in for some some big time disappointment. When all this kind of unravels, yeah. and, um, anyway, so I, that's just my my kind of caveat about those things, and also my caveat about just going on a really low calorie diet. Because when you go on a low calorie diet, you generally go on a low protein diet, and it, you can lose weight really by replacing carbs or fat with protein. I can't tell you how many papers there are out there that look at that. That's well established. If you're replacing the carbs. Or fat with protein, you're going to lose weight. But if you really want to do it, you replace carbs with protein, and you'll lose a lot more because fat doesn't have the, the metabolic consequences that carbs do. So that and uh, too is very satiating. Oh yes, so you'll end up eating fewer calories. Right, you'll end up eating less overall. Overall, and so the you know so you're really your optimal diet is a combination of fat and protein, good quality protein, good quality protein, which comes nicely packaged foods of animal origin. In nature. Yeah. Nature knows, once nature again. Knows. Nature knows, once again. Yeah. And the little factoid for you, you can think about this. Have you ever seen fat and and carbs together in nature? 
when you think of anything. Concentrated in large amounts. Concentrated in large amounts. Yeah, you'll have a little bit. And nuts. But, but you know, small nuts and carbs generally don't come together in nature. And so they probably shouldn't come together in nature. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG, and we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Probably not. You know, we've been at this uh, protein thing, as Mike said at the outset, for a long time, for, for 40 years. And we've seen kind of the travails and the successes of a lot of people who were struggling with their weight and struggling to help corral a metabolism that was out of, uh, out of sync. And what we've learned through all those years is that the most important thing you can do is feed yourself properly. Just figure out what it is that your body needs and give it to it. I think of one patient, I remember, and you do too, who he had a great journey. He had a journey that began as a runner. Stan? Yeah. He began as a runner and he ran. I mean, he was he was a guy who would commit 100% to anything he did. And so he committed 100% to running. And he was running like 100 miles or more a week. And he, he kind of beat himself up running and had a typical runner's body, very very lean, skinny almost. Legs pretty muscled, but the rest of him, you know, not so. And he, he made himself sick running too much. And so then he decided to commit himself fully to eating. And he ate himself up to a really tremendously large weight. The picture we saw of him on a cruise ship, he just, he almost couldn't get his arms to the table because his, his stomach was so big. And so he just, he was an all or none kind of guy. He ended up coming to us and he was, how old was Stan? 57. 57 years old. And that's not a, a time that generally people think, oh, I can remake myself into, you know, this great physique, but you just want to kind of get healthier. Well, not Stan. Stan made himself into a great physique. Uh, he lost, oh gosh, do you remember how much? No. I don't, a lot. I would say 70, oh, 70 or 80 like, pounds at least, yeah. and and then started working out. And I mean, if you think at 57 that you can't, that you can't re-tighten yourself up and and look lean and and virile i'll say i mean he did and he ended up becoming a competitive body bodybuilding type weight lifter he just uh, he went to the nth degree so the story of stan is there to remind us that it's absolutely never too late to change the way you eat and change your life and it's all in your hands i mean that's the beauty of it once you know how your metabolism works and you know all about protein you get to decide. You get to pick the outcome. Uh, it's just, it's all in your hands. Absolutely. And you, as I always tell every patient, you have absolutely 100% control over everything to go to your mouth. Yeah. And so you just have to choose to make the right choices. And the right choice really always needs to include a fair amount of protein, a good quality of protein. Not 
necessarily plant protein, which is less good, not the best for a whole host of reasons. Yeah. Is that about it? I think that about wraps up what uh, we wanted to say about protein to you. Now we need to find out what you want to know. All right. Yes. Thank you so much for that, everybody. I think that we can agree that there is not a single part of your body that doesn't need protein in some way and that doesn't benefit from you getting the proper amount. And uh, we do we do have a bunch of questions. We may or may not be able to get all to all of them, but we'll get to as many as we can. Before I start, start fielding you some of the questions, I, I do think that we need to clear up a very important point that somebody asked about, but I think before we get to some of the questions, it's important to make this distinction. Can you please talk to people about the difference between, somebody was asking about when they're, when they're concerned about getting enough protein, is that grams of protein, should they do it when the food is raw or cooked? But we're not talking about grams of food. No, please right. clear, clear that up for people before we talk about any other numbers. Okay. Uh, when we say grams of protein that you need per day, like, for example, the RDA, which is woefully low in a minimum at the very least, says that a, a an adult human, well, a human needs a 0.8 grams of protein per pound, uh, per kilogram per day. And we kind of like to go a little higher than that ourselves. We like to actually put it in terms of lean body mass because that's what you're really feeding. But at any rate, whatever the number is, for uh, the amount of protein, like, say, we need you to, to get 80 grams of protein a day. Well, that doesn't mean 80 grams of food because in a steak, for example, an, an ounce of weighs 30 grams, but it only has seven grams of protein in it because it's mostly water because all fresh food is mostly water. I mean, it has some fat in it too, but it's the, the protein in it is only a certain portion. So when we're talking about protein grams, what we want people to count up are the actual protein grams in that serving of food. And that's not going to change even if it shrinks with cooking. So it doesn't matter if you measure it raw or cooked. I guess you start out with a certain number raw. It doesn't matter what it cooks down to. It's it's still going to have the same amount of protein in it. And that's what you that's what you want to know. So if we say we want you to eat 30 grams of protein at a meal, then that might be something like the amount of protein in a, um, a chicken thigh. That's that's about thirty grams of protein. So, and also you got to be really careful looking at labels because plant mm. protein on labels is measured as crude protein, which is goes through this formula to calculate it, and it's based on the nitrogen content of the food to begin with, and it, and and it's a, a, they multiply this out based on the nitrogen content of the food. And plant foods can have a lot of nitrogen, and like potatoes have a lot of nitrates, and that's nitrogen, but that's not the kind of it's nitrogen. Protein it's not nitrogen. protein nitrogen. Right. And, but they multiply that out, so that's included when you see labels for plant-based foods. So the protein is always lower in those foods than what it looks like, and with animal-based foods, it's probably a little bit higher. So you always got... You have to get more plant food, but then you get all the other stuff that comes with plant food, usually carbs. So just be careful because if you look on a label and it says, you know, the protein is six grams and it's basically a plant food, you're really not getting six grams of protein there. That you can actually use. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we have another question about plant versus animal that we'll get to, but just, just so everybody's clear, 
grams of protein is not the same as grams of a protein of food by weight on right. a Correct. scale. Correct. Correct. Okay, so let's see. We Never heard of this issue, but can you touch on somebody that feels sleepy after they eat protein? Oh, and, and before, just real quick for everyone who is asking, yes, a replay of this will be available. You can watch the replay. As soon as this is over, you should be able to watch the replay on the Adapter Life YouTube channel or on my own YouTube channel, or some of you are in Facebook groups where it's streaming, but yes, you will have a replay. Okay, take it away. Yep. Yeah, the tryptophan is an amino acid that's in protein that makes you sleepy. Especially and, turkey. Yeah, a lot of it in turkey. But what is up happening, in which is a classic Thanksgiving dinner syndrome, if you eat protein and you eat carbs that are during your insulin, protein actually runs your insulin up a little bit too. When your insulin runs up and you digested these proteins and you have all of these amino acids out in your circulation, insulin learns the amino into storage. It, it, it sends them basically out of the blood and stores them away, all except for tryptophan. It doesn't affect tryptophan. So suddenly your relative amount of tryptophan is higher than any of the other amino acids. And then tryptophan gets to the brain and it turns into serotonin right. and makes you night night. <laughs> so that's why it does it. If you eat the protein by itself without the carb, it generally doesn't happen. If you eat it with carb like Thanksgiving dinner, that's why you get sleepy after. But I think there are I think there are some instances, at least I've heard patients mention it, where where they do if they eat a big protein meal, yeah. they they do just not even just if it's Thanksgiving with a bunch of carbs, but just a protein, a big slug of protein. And I don't know exactly why that happens. Well, protein raises your insulin a little bit. Not carbs, a little bit. A little bit. And it could be that or it could be just all that work that's going into <laughs> digesting it and just kinda of wears you out. No, I don't know. I really don't know why it does that with just meat other than just the relative abundance of tryptophan that can okay so moving on let's go to a very popular kind of question animal how do you feel about animal protein versus plant source protein you, you kind of touched on it but i know there's more to it go well, animal yeah plant protein is generally deficient and mm -hmm. oftentimes uh, lysine and methionine and methionine that some of the branch chain amino acids and so you have to get a whole lot of plant plant protein, and well, and you've got to combine them right. to to overcome the deficiencies right. of one or another. You put them together, you know, beans and rice, and you have to put them together and mix and match to be sure you've got uh, all of the essential amino acids when you're using a plant protein. And then you need to get an extra abundance of it because of all of the uh, because the crude protein is not the true protein because you're you're getting a lot of non-protein nitrogen. In plant proteins, it's nitrogen well and good. It is. You just can't use it because you don't have multiple stomachs like it yeah, with bacteria the, in them. Yeah, and I see on the question that it's a pea protein. That one's probably not too bad. It's probably maybe the best of the bunch. But it's still amino acid wise. Right. But it, if you ever look at, you know, at what these graphs that show, you know, the, the, there's a line that says this is the optimal amount, amount of protein. And all the animal sources are just way above the line. And pea protein comes close and all the rest of the plant proteins fall pretty short. But one of the issues that I've read about, and I'm sure some of you guys may know more about it than I do, is that there's so little protein actually in most plants, including peas, that in order to make a 
pea protein supplement, you've got to really concentrate a lot of peas to get there. And with that concentrates anything else that might be in the pea. So if it's not, uh, you know, a fully organic, chemical-free, whatever source of peas, you're going to concentrate all that stuff too to get to a pea protein that, you know, a scoop of it is equivalent to like whey protein. So that's the other kind of dark side of it or the downside that you got to at least look out for the possibility, uh, the sourcing of, of plant proteins to be sure that you're not going to be concentrating a bunch of things that you don't. Yes. All right. So lots of good questions. It's hard to choose. This is maybe about shakes and is, is whey protein a complete protein? Yes, it is. It is. It's a high quality, complete protein and has a good, healthy amount of leucine in it. So that's why it's a helpful thing. If you really are trying to build bone and muscle and you want to give that muscle building, white whey protein is kind of the go-to for a, a lot of folks trying to build muscle. Because it really, it's it's very efficient at that. Do you do you have any concerns about people getting protein from a shake, a liquid, as opposed to eating a you know solid piece of food? Solid piece of food is always a better choice. It's just not always feasible. You know, it's not always convenient. I'd rather have them have a shake than the well food. Right. And and sometimes it's hard, especially you know small women are found have a hard time getting in a lot of protein. You know, if, if you are, I hate to use his name and again, if you are Sean Baker, if you guys know who he is, and you eat the 16-ounce ribeye twice for dinner. But, you know, a, a little lady in her 60s who needs a lot of protein, but she just has a hard time getting it in, I would rather see her have a, a good quality shake and get all of the complete amino acids in and give a little build signal than, you know, she says, oh, I just can't eat more than one egg, you know, that kind of thing. So it's... It, there's no doubt food's better if you will eat the food. And meat is fabulous if you can eat the meat. And there, you know, one issue, whey, <clears throat> is that about 20% of people, mm. uh, especially females, tend to, their weight loss gets a little bit inhibited when they eat whey. Quite. And I don't know why that is, but probably because the branch chain amino acids stimulate growth, and there are a lot of those in whey. And so if, mm -hmm. if you're trying to lose weight and you're eating whey to keep your protein intake up and it's just not working, you might want to switch to um, meat. Uh, a meat <laughs> or a collagen-based protein, even though it doesn't have the complete amino acid profile like whey does, and supplement that with some extra meat and see if that kicks your weight loss into gear. And, and I don't know exactly what causes yeah. that. We haven't figured that out yet. 80% of people do fine, but I about one in five have a little bit of an issue with it. That's interesting. I did not know that. And I, I've never had enough problem getting, <laughs> I've never had a problem getting protein. I used to do shakes a while back and I, I forgot to mention, I am wearing leopard print in honor of animal protein this evening. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> leopards um, eat a lot of protein. Sorry? I said leopards eat a lot of protein. They do. But I think, I think shakes I, I also prefer for clients to eat actual food, but shakes can, you know, be helpful for convenience. And like you said, especially for elderly people too, that are not maybe going to stand there and grill a steak or bake a chicken. They could, but it might be easier for them to just drink a shake and that better that they get the protein than not. So like, um, 
Speaking of that, I I love this question because we have, wait, I just scrolled <laughs> past it. Where did it go? Sorry, I want to post it if I can on the screen. Well, I'll, I'll post it if I can find it. We have somebody who is 82 years old who is asking how much protein they need. And I just love that we have an octogenarian who's concerned about their protein intake. As well, he or she should be. Well, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll give it to the 76-year-old <laughs> to answer. What do you think? Well, it depends on size. It depends on lean body mass size. And that's why it's, it's important to get a kind of get a handle on that. Uh, on what, how much, how many pounds of lean body mass, everything about you that's not fat, how much does that weigh? Because that's what you're going to feed. And we would say a, a half to one gram of complete protein per day, per pound of lean body mass, not per kilo, because we're so not metric ourselves, <laughs> because we're old school. But, uh, you know, a half to one gram. So if you want to say, if you're 82, you want to trend to the high end of that range. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's going to really take work to uh, encourage a lean body mass at 82 to build. And so you, so say one gram of lean body mass, uh, one gram of lean body mass, one gram of protein per pound of lean body mass per day. And so if you can get a handle on how many pounds of lean body mass you have, you're going to find, find out a good thing. So let's say you were a 170 pound person and you were not particularly, you're kind of not particularly overweight. You're a tall person. I don't know. I'm making these numbers up as I go. So maybe 110 of your pounds are lean body mass, then you'd want to eat 110 grams of complete protein a day. And that's, as we said before, not 110 grams of food. That's 110 grams of protein in food. So at seven grams an ounce for meat or six grams an ounce, uh, an egg for eggs or like that. Yeah, an absolute minimum of 60 grams a day. Min absolute rock bottom minimum. Yeah. Yeah, we've we've had a couple of questions. Speaking of that, the the minimums and maximums. A couple of questions about the danger, if there is any, of eating too much protein in general, and then also specifically in one sitting. Can you talk about those two issues? The, is it you know what what is too much protein? Is should people be worried? You know, <laughs> I always say short answer no. <laughs> yeah, no, I always say that you know bodybuilders. People are always worried. There, there's this myth out there that protein damages the kidneys, and it, it really doesn't. If you've got normal kidneys, you can tolerate protein. There are even some suggestion suggestion in the literature, and I even suggestion some papers saying that even people who have damaged kidneys have got to have an adequate amount of protein because you got to have the protein, right. and that that sugar is much more damaging to your kidney than protein is. But right. all that aside. Bodybuilders eat enormous amounts of protein, you know, 250, 300, 350 grams a day, maybe even more sometimes to try to build this massive muscle that they have. And like I always say, you never see lines of bodybuilders outside dialysis centers. It, it doesn't seem to hurt their kidneys, and they're kind of a test case. I mean, they're way out on the edge. And But there's it, actually hard research right, that shows it, too. Right, and if bodybuilders... If protein really did damage you, there'd be a lot of bodybuilders in trouble, and you just don't see it or read about it. 
<laughs> I picked up a little prop at a, at a keto event. Shout out to keto people. Yes, preach. Okay. Um, it, oh, it's just preach. Oh, okay. Preach, you know, I, 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 amen. We, we all three of us probably agree that the, far more harm can come from eating too little protein than too much, if too much yeah, is even absolutely. a thing. And no one's going to accidentally eat too much protein. You have to force that, yeah. really. Right. Yes. Yeah, so um, it's it's much easier to eat too little. Yeah. Speaking of too little or too much, how do you feel about the carnivore diet? Lovely. I like it. Yeah. I think it's great. It's yeah. uh, back to fiber. I have to, uh, I would pork up because I've been bad. That's the best way to unpork for me. Yeah, the quickest, best. Yeah, it's uh, you know the only downside to it really, as far as I'm concerned, is it it gets a little bit boring. And but in terms of health wise, I don't see a problem with it. No, I think it's it's the diet we cut our evolutionary teeth on. I mean, what what you're eating is basically essentially what you are. I mean, you talk about eating close to the bone. That's it. All right, maybe just a couple more and then we'll close out. I don't want to keep you or our viewers too long. Somebody's asking about specific ratios. This one, they saw a recommendation and and they they meant protein. So to try to get about 70% fat and 30, sorry, 70% fat and 30% protein, meaning for anyone watching, 70% of your daily calories from fat and 30% from protein. And they're asking how, how would one get that? Or, or do these, where do these ratios even come from and do they matter? I don't, I, I, I've never liked ratios personally. Yeah, nor have I. But in that instance, the, the carnivore diet that you speak of is a pretty easy way to get a ratio like that. An 80-20, 80-20 is what Stephenson, Wilhelmer Stephenson and uh, Karsten Anderson uh, tried to achieve when they were doing the Bellevue study in the 20s. Uh, the all meat study, they were trying to get 80 20. And, you know, so a little off of that uh, would be uh, 70 30. And eating a carnivore diet would get you to 70 30 very quickly, yeah. very easily, thoughtlessly. Yeah. Let's see if there's any, any other key questions. <laughs> This is sort of interesting. If somebody has acid reflux, how does that how does that affect protein digestion? If it does, I mean, well, I think the reflux itself has anything much to do with protein digestion. Well, it proves you have acid. Yeah, proves What you, have you acid. need to digest protein. <laughs> and uh, you, you know, the, the digestion actually begins in the stomach, mm-hmm. and you know goes on from there. And usually, reflux is a well, what we found out accidentally, nobody ever talked about this. I've never heard of this. And we started putting people on low carb diet 40 years ago, 80s. Mm-hmm. They kept coming in and saying, you know, my reflux went away. Why did that happen? I have no idea. But it I happened mean, often enough. That... All the time, yeah. in fact. And so I got to the point where I said, look, if you got reflux, it's going to go away when you start this diet. And it does. And it's, Nobody really knows with certainty what brings that about. I mean, one theory is that because you do have bacteria in the in the lower end of your small intestine, 
and it's that overgrowth. It's called intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and and the the bacteria that feed on carbs basically release gas. And when they release gas, they can travel up the small intestine through the stomach, it force its way out through the the lower esophageal sphincter, especially if that's weak, and then you can get reflux. And that's why if you quit eating carbs or cut back on the carbs then these bacteria don't have anything to grow on and bacteria either live or die based on what they're fed. And if you don't feed them the right stuff, they die. die. And they don't reproduce. I mean, a small portion of them are still there waiting for a bunch more carbs to come along, but they don't don't release the gas. And so reflux goes away. So I don't think it has, and and not in every single case, and it's what I say, nobody knows exactly what the, the cause is with this small intestinal bacterial overgrowth to me it sounds like a reasonable explanation for it and a reasonable explanation why it would go away with a low-carb diet and i've seen people tie it with insulin resistance except i've never seen anything mechanistically in terms of how insulin resistance either makes it come reducing insulin resistance makes it go away so i don't really know but i don't think it has anything to do with protein digestion well and and the question mainly was how would having that, would that impair your ability to digest protein? And I would say, no, it doesn't uh, impair your ability to digest protein. But, you know, with, if you think about it, the lower esophageal sphincter is just a muscle. And when you eat more protein, you're going to help build muscle. So and, maybe yeah, you may strengthen it by just eating more protein. And when you do resistance training, something happens with age. All muscles get weaker basically with age. And if you if you do resistance training and build up your muscle mass, then all muscles improve, not just the ones you work out, but there's a systemic, a systemic. effect with that, and that could tighten your the lower esophageal sphincter up a little there. Mm-hmm. And the problem really with protein and, and GERD, as far as I'm concerned, is people that take the protein pump inhibitors and mm-hmm. a lot of antacids. Proton 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 and they reduce their stomach acid if they can't digest protein as well because of that. And not only that, they reduce the acidity of their stomach acid. And what a lot of people don't realize is that the main line of defense against infection because you breathe a lot of stuff in. It's not particularly good for you. And what ends up happening, it gets stuck in the sticky mucus in your respiratory tract. And the sticky mucus has these little hairs in it that are always working. <laughs> to bring it back up to the top. And so every time you swallow, you're swallowing this stuff that's bad for you that gets caught in these little hairs. And when you swallow it, it drops into this random acid. bath of acid in your stomach that kills it. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people don't realize that that's a lot of defense. And so uh, immune defense. And so that's why people who take these proton pump inhibitors yes. tend to get more infectious diseases, especially in the Especially in the But... That just brought up to my mind, in, in uh, relative to the question that was asked, if you have acid reflux and you're on a proton pump inhibitor, that could impair your ability to digest protein True. because you don't have as much stomach acid. And so uh, that's a good reason to go off a protein pump inhibitor and just go on a low-carb diet, if you ask me, but don't do it without your doctor's advice. All right, we have two two more questions and then we'll close out. There's, um, I'm going to, kind of a long question, so I don't know how it'll appear on the screen. Basically, the gist of it is, there's a health coach who is asking, 
basically how you convince women to stop being afraid of protein and fat. And I, I want to let people know that we have a guide that that um, Dr. Mike and, and Dr. Mary Dan Eads wrote dispelling eight myths about protein. And in there, we have something about, about this issue. So I'm going to post a link here. It may not, th this broadcast is streaming live into multiple different Facebook groups and YouTube channels. So if you don't see this link, because it, it may not post in all the groups. If you don't see it, go to adaptyourlifeacademy.com and you'll see the, the protein myth guide. So you can download that. But yeah, please tell us because this as a as a, a you know nutritionist myself with clients, again, I, I don't have this problem. I can eat plenty of protein and fat, but, but maybe because I read your book, how, <laughs> how do we get women particularly over this fear of eating a sizable amount of, of especially animal protein and the fat? You were assigned a female at birth. I want to tell Gosh. Okay. I, it is a hard thing because I think a lot of it is, at, and young women especially, but almost anybody, and it's it's been so driven into the minds of especially women that fat makes you fat and that you know, eating too much protein is going to make you a bodybuilder. And it's just in their heads. And it's it almost... You need to just scrub it out. Probably what I would do is I would say, give me a week. Give me a week where this is what you eat. And, you know, let them increase the protein in little amounts slowly over that week until they get to a reasonable amount of protein that they really ought to be eating. And then say, give me one more week and let's see what happens once they've gotten to that level. And then what's going to happen is that they're they're not going to gain weight if, they, if they're eating a well-formulated, low-carb diet and they slowly increase their protein up to a, a reasonable amount, they're going to find out that they can tolerate it and that they don't gain weight with it. And the proof is, you know, in the, in the pudding or the ribeye. It's, they'll get the message, but they have to almost be brought to it a little slowly so that it doesn't frighten them to death. And, you know, I can, I can tuck into that 16-ounce ribeye. I can do that. And, you know, a lot of young women, for whatever reason, they're prone to become vegetarians. No, I think it's, uh, I don't know what it is. but Because they love animals, yeah. and I do too, but they were meant for me to eat. And and so I think that's kind of in there somehow, and so they yeah. don't really want to eat the flesh of animals, and, and I encourage those people to read Eats book, Definitely. Myth, which is fabulous. Definitely. I'm going to, let me put a note about that. Vegetarian, and I'm typing quickly. So if there's a typo there, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's interesting with women. You know, as, as the person who asked the question is a health coach, so you have to assume if someone is seeking out her help, they're not happy with their current state of health. So right. I sort of have to right. say, well, what you're doing now isn't working. Why don't we just do a little experiment? Why don't we increase the protein and see what happens? Like you said, give it a week, give it two weeks. You know, if, if you were happy with with things now, you wouldn't be seeking advice. And then, of course, the other thing, like you said, young women, but older women, too, there's such a, I think, unrecognized epidemic of anemia, iron deficiency mm -hmm. among women, mm -hmm. and, and women are constantly yep. complaining, my nails are weak, my hair is weak. Yep. Oh, see what happens if you eat a bunch more protein. And don't ask me to define mm -hmm. a bunch. <laughs> more than you're eating now. <laughs> yeah, more Absolutely. than you're eating now. 
I remember oh. we have, have a good friend who's a vegetarian cookbook author, a famous vegetarian cookbook author. And after we wrote Protein Power, we ended up at her house for dinner in Santa Fe one night. And she had kind of started, based on our book, at least eating more protein and than she had been. She was truly a vegetarian. She might have been a vegan at that time. I don't know. But the interesting comment she made was, I forgot how much energy you have when you eat protein. And so maybe just that, just a difference in how they feel is enough to sort of uh, talk them off the ledge and get them eating properly again. Yeah. Agree. Agree. Okay. I think we'll call it a night, but everybody, th thank you so much for watching. And if you want to learn more about all things protein, some of the questions that we didn't have time to get to are answered. I said we had a special announcement for you. Adapter Life Academy has a course all about protein from the doctor's eads. They are your teachers in the course. And so, so many of you had questions, how much protein do I, should I eat? You know, this is how, this is my age, this is my size. And people asking about different, you know, animal versus vegetable and all these different things. All of those questions, all of that confusion, all of this, you know, does protein spike my insulin? Does pro how does protein affect my blood sugar? All of that is answered in the course. So um, check out the course. The Doctor's Eads put so much work and effort into this. And it's called The Power of Protein. And if you go to adaptyourlifeacademy.com and click on the menu, you will see that. And it is open now. It is open for enrollment actually starting today. And it's only open through November 6th. So it's only a limited time, but th that's just the period during which you can actually enroll. Once you enroll, it's self-paced. So you don't need to finish the course by November 6th. In fact, the Doctor's Eads will do three live sessions with people in the course. So, and that's over the, the next two or three weeks after the closing period. And it's self-paced. You just, it's, it's pre pre-recorded video lessons of all the teaching that you can watch at your own pace from anywhere in the world. And then there are these three additional live sessions for Q&A just like this, except you don't have to hear me go on and on. You will be with the doctors eats who really are the experts in protein. So if you feel confused and overwhelmed by all the protein noise, because there is a lot of it out there. And if you're kind of ready to move beyond carbs and fat, then definitely check out that course. It is open now. Um, do you do you two want to say anything about the course other than that it's amazing and people should do it? <laughs> well, we won't say that. We had a, a really good time at making the course. To tell you the truth, it was a, uh, a chance to go back and really look at some of the older literature and, and get ourselves up to speed on all the newest literature. It was, it was very much fun making it, and I hope that it... Uh, Hope it ends up being a worthwhile for those who want to take the time to do it. All right. And I, I will just reiterate everybody, if you want to learn about protein specifically, but in general, good health, ancestral health, kind of specific to low carb diets, but even not, I think a lot of this protein stuff is relevant to anybody, but there, there's really nobody better to learn from than Mary Dan and Michael Eads. Truly, like I said at the beginning, low carb legends in at least in my world. So, 
check out that course if you want to learn more. And if you have any questions, if you know, you're not sure it's right for you, just send us an email. Um, it's academy at adaptyourlife.com or you just contact us through the website. So I think that will be it. I wish I had more protein stuff to hold up, but I don't. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time tonight. I know that everybody really learned a lot. There were some very good comments, even some people commenting that they read Protein Power back in the day, and they're glad to see you again, that you're still sort of, you know, active in this community. Alive. Alive. All right. Well, thank you so much and good night, everybody. Thanks for being here. Have a good rest of the evening. I hope you enjoyed tonight's valuable episode on the power of protein. For more information on the course, click on the link in the description or visit our website at adaptyourlifeacademy.com. Remember, enrollment is only open for a limited time.